chapter thirty five of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray dinner in the row upon the appointed day our two friends made their appearance at mr bungay's door in paternoster row not the public entrance through which booksellers boys issued with their sacks full of bungay's volumes and around which timid aspirants lingered with their virgin manuscripts ready for sale to sultan bungay but at the private door of the house whence the splendid mrs bungay would come forth to step into her chaise and take her drive settling herself on the cushions and casting looks of defiance at mrs bacon's opposite windows at mrs bacon who was as yet a chaiseless woman on such occasions when very much wroth at her sister-in-law's splendour mrs bacon would fling up the sash of her drawing-room window and look out with her four children at the chaise as much as to say look at these four darlings flora bungay this is why i can't drive in my carriage you would give a coach and four to have the same reason and it was with these arrows out of her quiver that emma bacon shot flora bungay as she sat in her chariot envious and childless as penn and warrington came to bungay's door a carriage and a cab drove up to bacon's old dr slocum descended heavily from the first the doctor's equipage was as ponderous as his style but both had a fine sonorous effect upon the publishers in the row a couple of dazzling white waistcoats stepped out of the cab warrington laughed you see bacon has his dinner party too that is dr slocum author of memoirs of the poisoners you would hardly have recognized our friend hulin in that gallant white waistcoat hulin is one of bungay's men and faith here he comes indeed messieurs hulin and Doolin had come from the strand in the same cab tossing up by the way which should pay the shilling and mr d stepped from the other side of the way arrayed in black with a large pair of white gloves which were spread out on his hands and which the owner could not help regarding with pleasure the house porter in an evening coat and gentlemen with gloves as large as doolin's but of the famous berlin web were on the passage of mr bungay's house to receive the guests hats and coats and bawl their names up the stair some of the latter had arrived when the three new visitors made their appearance but there was only mrs bungay in red satin and a turban to represent her own charming sex she made curtsies to each newcomer as he entered the drawing-room but her mind was evidently preoccupied by extraneous thoughts the fact is mrs bacon's dinner-party was disturbing her and as soon as she had received each individual of her own company flora bungay flew back to the embrasure of the window whence she could rake the carriages of emma bacon's friends as they came rattling up the row the sight of dr slocum's large carriage with the gaunt job horses crushed flora none but hack cabs had driven up to her own door 
on that day they were all literary gentlemen though unknown as yet to pen there was mr bowl the real editor of the magazine of which mr wagg was the nominal chief mr trotter who from having broken out on the world as a poet of a tragic and suicidal cast had now subsided into one of mr bungay's back shops as reader for that gentleman and captain sumph an ex-beau reader about town and related in some indistinct manner to literature and the peerage he was said to have written a book once to have been a friend of lord byron to be related to lord somethington in fact anecdotes of byron formed his staple and he seldom spoke but with the name of that poet or some of his contemporaries in his mouth as thus i remember poor shelley at school being sent up for good for a copy of verses every line of which i wrote by jove or i recollect when i was at missolonghi with byron offering to bet gamba and so forth this gentleman pen remarked was listened to with great attention by mrs bungay his anecdotes of the aristocracy of which he was a middle-aged member delighted the publisher's lady and he was almost a greater man than the great mr wagg himself in her eyes had he but come in his own carriage mrs bungate would have made her bungate purchase any given volume from his pen mr bungate went about to his guests as they arrived and did the honours of his house with much cordiality how are you sir fine day sir glad to see you here sir flora my love let me have the honour of introducing mr warrington to you mr warrington mrs bungay mr pendennis mrs bungay hope you've brought good appetites with you gentlemen you doolin i know ave for you've always ad a deuce of a twist laura bungay said mrs bungay faith a man must be hard to please bungay who can't eat a good dinner in this house doolin said and he winked and stroked his lean chops with his large gloves and made appeals of friendship to mrs bungay which that honest woman refused with scorn from the timid man she couldn't abide that doolin she said in confidence to her friends indeed all his flatteries failed to win her as they talked mrs bungay surveying mankind from her window a magnificent vision of an enormous grey cab-horse appeared and neared rapidly a pair of white reins held by small white gloves were visible behind it a face pale but richly decorated with a chin tuft the head of an exiguous groom bobbing over the cab head these bright things were revealed to the delighted mrs bungay the honourable percy popjoy's quite punctual i declare she said and sailed to the door to be in waiting at the nobleman's arrival it's percy popjoy said pen looking out of window and seeing an individual in extremely lacquered boots descend from the swinging cab and in fact it was that young nobleman lord falconet's eldest son as we all very well know who was come to dine with the publisher his publisher of the row he was my fag at eton warrington said i ought to have licked him a little more he and pen had had some bouts at the oxbridge union debates in which pen had had very much the better of percy who presently appeared with his hat under his arm and a look of indescribable good-humour and fatuity in his round dimpled face upon which nature had burst out with a chin tuft but exhausted with the effort had left the rest of the countenance bare of hair the temporary groom of the chambers bawled out the honourable percy popjoy much to that gentleman's discomposure at hearing his titles announced 
what did the man want to take away my hat for bungay he asked of the publisher can't do without my hat wanted to make my bow to mrs bungay how well you look mrs bungay to-day haven't seen your carriage in the park why haven't you been there i missed you indeed i did i'm afraid you're a sad quiz said mrs bungay quiz never made a joke in my hello who's here how do you do pendennis how do you do warrington these are old friends of mine mrs bungay i say how the deuce did you come here he asked of the two young men turn up his lacquered heels upon mrs bungay who respected her husband's two young guests now that she found they were intimate with a lord's son what do they know him she asked rapidly mr b high fellers i tell you the young one related to all the nobility said the publisher and both ran forward smiling and bowing to greet almost as great personages as the young lord no less characters indeed than the great mr wenham and the great mr wagg who were now announced mr wenham entered wearing the usual demure look and stealthy smile with which he commonly surveyed the tips of his neat little shining boots and which he but seldom brought to bear upon the person who addressed him wagg's white waistcoat spread out on the contrary with profuse brilliancy his burly red face shone resplendent over it lighted up with the thoughts of good jokes and a good dinner he liked to make his entree into a drawing-room with a laugh and when he went away at night to leave a joke exploding behind him no personal calamities or distresses of which that humorist had his share in common with the unjocular part of mankind could altogether keep his humour down whatever his griefs might be the thought of a dinner rallied his great soul and when he saw a lord he saluted him with a pun wenham went up then with a smug smile and whisper to mrs bungay and looked at her from under his eyes and showed her the tips of his shoes wag said she looked charming and pushed on straight at the young nobleman whom he called pop and to whom he instantly related a funny story seasoned with what the french call gros sel he was delighted to see pen too and shook hands with him and slapped him on the back cordially for he was full of spirits and good humour and he talked in a loud voice about their last place and occasion of meeting at Baymouth, and asked how their friends of clavering park were and whether sir francis was not coming to london for the season and whether pen had been to see lady rockminster who had arrived fine old lady lady rockminster these remarks wag made not for pen's ear so much as for the edification of the company whom he was glad to inform that he paid visits to gentlemen's country seats and was on intimate terms with the nobility wenham also shook hands with our young friend all of which scenes mrs bungay remarked with respectful pleasure and communicated her ideas to bungay afterwards regarding the importance of mr pendennis ideas by which pen profited much more than he was aware pen who had read and rather admired some of her works and expected to find in miss bunyan a person somewhat resembling her own description of herself in the passion flower in which she stated that her youth resembled a violet shrinking meanly when blows the march wind keenly a timid fawn on wildwood lawn where oak boughs rustle greenly and that her mature beauty was something very different certainly to the artless loveliness of her prime but still exceedingly captivating and striking beheld rather to his surprise and amusement a large and bony woman in a crumpled satin dress who came creaking into the room with a step as heavy as a grenadier's 
wag instantly noted the straw which she brought in at the rumpled skirt of her dress and would have stooped to pick it up but miss bunyan disarmed all criticism by observing this ornament herself and putting her own large foot upon it so as to separate it from her robe she stooped and picked up the straw saying to mrs bungay that she was very sorry to be a little late but that the omnibus was very slow and what a comfort it was to get a ride all the way from brompton for sixpence nobody laughed at the poetess's speech it was uttered so simply indeed the worthy woman had not the least notion of being ashamed of an action incidental upon her poverty is that passion flowers pen said to wenham by whom he was standing why her picture in the volume represents her as a very well-looking young woman you know passion flowers like all others will run to seed wenham said miss bunyan's portrait was probably painted some years ago well i like her for not being ashamed of her poverty so do i said mr wenham who would have starved rather than have come to dinner in an omnibus but i don't think that she need flourish the straw about do you mr pendennis my dear miss bunyan how do you do i was in a great lady's drawing-room this morning and everybody was charmed with your new volume those lines on the christening of lady fanny fantail brought tears into the duchess's eyes i said that i thought i should have the pleasure of meeting you to-day and she begged me to thank you and say how greatly she was pleased this history told in a bland smiling manner of a duchess whom wenham had met that very morning too quite put poor wag's dowager and baronet out of court and placed wenham beyond wag as a man of fashion wenham kept this inestimable advantage in having the conversation to himself ran on with a number of anecdotes regarding the aristocracy he tried to bring mr popjoy into the conversation by making appeals to him and saying i was telling your father this morning or i think you were present at w house the other night when the duke said so and so but mr popjoy would not gratify him by joining in the talk preferring to fall back into the window recess with mrs bungay and watch the cabs that drove up to the opposite door at least if he would not talk the hostess hoped that those odious bacons would see how she had secured the noble percy popjoy for her party and now the bell of st paul's tolled half an hour later than that for which mr bungay had invited his party and it was complete with the exception of two guests who at last made their appearance and in whom pen was pleased to recognize captain and mrs shandon when these two had made their greetings to the master and mistress of the house and exchanged nods of more or less recognition with most of the people present pen and warrington went up and shook hands very warmly with mrs shandon who perhaps was affected to meet them and think where it was she had seen them but a few days before shandon was brushed up and looked pretty smart in a red velvet waistcoat and a frill into which his wife had stuck her best brooch in spite of mrs bungay's kindness perhaps in consequence of it mrs shandon felt great terror and timidity in approaching her indeed she was more awful than ever in her red satin and bird of paradise and it was not until she had asked in her great voice about the dear little girl that the latter was somewhat encouraged and ventured to speak nice-looking woman pup joy whispered to warrington do introduce me to captain shandon warrington i'm told he's a tremendous clever fellow and dammy i adore intellect by jove i do this was the truth heaven had not endowed young mr popjoy with much intellect of his own but had given him a generous faculty for admiring if not for appreciating the intellect of others 
and introduced me to miss bunyan i'm told she's very clever too she's rum to look at certainly but that don't matter dammy i consider myself a literary man and i wish to know all the clever fellows so mr popjoy and mr shandon had the pleasure of becoming acquainted with one another and now the doors of the adjoining dining-room being flung open the party entered and took their seats at table pen found himself next to bunyan on one side and to mr wagg the truth is wagg fled alarmed from the vacant place by the poetess and pen was compelled to take it the gifted being did not talk much during dinner but pen remarked that she ate with a vast appetite and never refused any of the supplies of wine which were offered to her by the butler indeed miss bunyan having considered mr pendennis for a minute who gave himself rather grand airs and who was attired in an extremely fashionable style with his very best chains shirt studs and cambric fronts he was set down and not without reason as a prig by the poetess who thought it was much better to attend to her dinner than to take any notice of him she told him as much in after days with her usual candour i took you for one of the little mayfair dandies she said to pen you looked as solemn as a little undertaker and as i disliked beyond measure the odious creature who was on the other side of me i thought it was best to eat my dinner and hold my tongue and you did both very well my dear miss bunyan pen said with a laugh well so i do but i intend to talk to you the next time a great deal for you are neither so solemn nor so stupid nor so pert as you look ah miss bunyan how i pine for that next time to come pen said with an air of comical gallantry but we must return to the day and the dinner at paternoster row the repast was of the richest description what i call of the florid gothic style wag whispered to pen who sat beside the humorist in his side wing voice the men in creaking shoes and berlin gloves were numerous and solemn carrying on rapid conversations behind the guests as they moved to and fro with the dishes doolan called out waither to one of them and blushed when he thought of his blunder mrs bungay's footboy was lost amidst those large and black-coated attendants look at that very bow-windowed man wag said he's an undertaker in amen corner and attends funerals and dinners cold meat and hot don't you perceive he's the sham butler here and i observe my dear mr pendennis as you will through life that wherever there is a sham butler at a london dinner there is sham wine this sherry is filthy bungay my boy where did you get this delicious brown sherry i'm glad you like it mr wagg glass with you said the publisher it's some i got from alderman benning's store and gave a good figure for it i can tell you mr pendennis will you join us your elf gentlemen the old rogue where does he expect to go to it came from the public-house wagg said it requires two men to carry off that sherry tis so uncommonly strong i wish i had a bottle of old stain's wine here pendennis your uncle and i have had many a one he sends it about to people where he is in the habit of dining i remember poor rawdon crawley's sir pitt crawley's brother he was governor of coventry island stain's chef always came in the morning and the butler arrived with the champagne from gaunt house in the ice-pails ready how good this is said pop joy good-naturedly you must have a cordon bleu in your kitchen oh yes mrs bungay said thinking he spoke of a jack chain very likely i mean a french chef said the polite guest oh yes your lordship again said the lady does your artist say he's a frenchman mrs b called out wag well i'm sure i don't know answered the publisher's lady because if he does he's a cuisinier 
cried mr wagg but nobody saw the pun which disconcerted somewhat the bashful punster the dinner is from griggs in st paul's churchyard so is bacon's he whispered pen bungay writes to give half a crown a head more than bacon so does bacon they would poison each other's ices if they could get near them and as for the made dishes they are poison this hum ha this brimborian a la savania is delicious mrs b he said helping himself to a dish which the undertaker handed to him well i'm glad you like it mrs bungay answered blushing and not knowing whether the name of the dish was actually that which wire gave to it but dimly conscious that that individual was quizzing her accordingly she hated mr wagg with female ardour and would have deposed him from his command over mr bungay's periodical but that his name was great in the trade and his reputation in the land considerable by the displacement of persons warrington had found himself on the right hand of mrs shandon who sat in plain black silk and faded ornaments by the side of the florid publisher the sad smile of the lady moved his rough heart to pity nobody seemed to interest himself about her she sat looking at her husband who himself seemed rather abashed in the presence of some of the company wenham and wagg both knew him and his circumstances he had worked with the latter and was immeasurably his superior in wit genius and acquirement but wagg's star was brilliant in the world and poor shannon was unknown there he could not speak before the noisy talk of the coarser and more successful man but drank his wine in silence and as much of it as the people would give him he was under surveillance bungay had warned the undertaker not to fill the captain's glass too often or too full it was a melancholy precaution that and the more melancholy that it was necessary mrs shandon too cast alarmed glances across the table to see that her husband did not accede abashed by the failure of his first pun for he was impudent and easily disconcerted wagg kept his conversation pretty much to pen during the rest of dinner and of course chiefly spoke about their neighbours this is one of bungay's grand field days he said we are all bungavians here did you read popjoy's novel it was an old magazine story written by poor buzzard years ago and forgotten here until mr trotter that is trotter with the large shirt collar fished it out and bethought him that it was applicable to the late elopement so bob wrote a few chapters a propos popjoy permitted the use of his name and i dare say supplied a page here and there and desperation or the fugitive duchess made its appearance the great fun is to examine popjoy about his own work of which he doesn't know a word i say popjoy what a capital passage that is in volume three where the cardinal in disguise after being converted by the bishop of london proposes marriage to the duchess's daughter glad you like it popjoy answered it's a favourite bit of my own there's no such thing in the whole book whispered wag to pen invented it myself gad it wouldn't be a bad plot for a high church novel i remember poor byron hobhouse trelawney and myself dining with cardinal mezzocaldo at rome captain sump began and we had some orvieto wine for dinner which byron liked very much and i remember how the cardinal regretted that he was a single man we went to civita vecchia two days afterwards where byron's yacht was and by jove the cardinal died within three weeks and byron was very sorry for he rather liked him a devilish interesting story sump indeed wag said you should publish some of those stories captain sump you really should such a volume would make our friend bungay's fortune shandon said why don't you ask sump to publish em in your new paper though what do you call em hey shandon bawled out wag 
why don't you ask him to publish em in your old magazine the thingumbob shandon replied is there going to be a new paper asked wenham who knew perfectly well but was ashamed of his connection with the press bungay going to bring out a paper cried popjoy who on the contrary was proud of his literary reputation and acquaintances you must employ me mrs bungay use your influence with him and make him employ me prose or verse what shall it be novels poems travels or leading articles begad anything or everything only let bungay pay me and i'm ready i'm now my dear mrs bungay begad now it's to be called the small beer chronicle growled wag and little pop joy is to be engaged for the infantine department it is to be called the pell-mell gazette sir and we shall be very happy to have you with us shandon said pell-mell gazette why pell-mell gazette asked wag because the editor was born at dublin the sub-editor at cork because the proprietor lives in paternoster row and the paper is published in catherine street strand won't that reason suffice you wag shandon said he was getting rather angry everything must have a name my dog ponto has got a namey you've got a name and a name which you deserve more or less indeed why do you grudge the name to our paper by any other name it would smell as sweet said wag i'll have you remember its name not what do you call em mr wag said shandon you know its name well enough and and you know mine and i know your address too said wag but this was spoken in an undertone and the good-natured irishman was appeased almost in an instant after his ebullition of spleen and asked wag to drink wine with him in a friendly voice when the ladies retired from the table the talk grew louder still and presently wenham in a courtly speech proposed that everybody should drink to the health of the new journal eulogizing highly the talents wit and learning of its editor captain shandon it was his maxim never to lose the support of a newspaper man and in the course of that evening he went round and saluted every literary gentleman present with a privy compliment specially addressed to him informing this one how great an impression had been made in downing street by his last article and telling that one how profoundly his good friend the duke of so-and-so had been struck by the ability of the late numbers the evening came to a close and in spite of all the precautions to the contrary poor shandon reeled in his walk and went home to his new lodgings with his faithful wife by his side and the cabman on his box jeering at him wenham had a chariot of his own which he put at popjoy's seat and the timid miss bunyan seeing mr wag who was her neighbour about to depart insisted upon a seat in his carriage much to that gentleman's discomfiture pen and warrington walked home together in the moonlight and now warrington said that you have seen the men of letters tell me was i far wrong in saying that there are thousands of people in this town who don't write books who are to the full as clever and intellectual as people who do pen was forced to confess that the literary personages with whom he had become acquainted had not said much in the course of the night's conversation that was worthy to be remembered or quoted in fact not one word about literature had been said during the whole course of the night and it may be whispered to those uninitiated people who are anxious to know the habits and make the acquaintance of men of letters that there are no race of people who talk about books or perhaps who read books so little as literary men End of chapter thirty five